thought this morning we'd start uh, by just reciting together the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to invite you into that. You see it on the screen. Uh, go ahead and join me. Your, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we just come before you this morning and we invite your kingdom into this space and into this time. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would open our ears to hear your voice above all other voices. God, if there are any distractions, just put those to the side. Because this morning we want our gaze to be fixed solely on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. You may be seated. Pastor Jade, as you uh, heard earlier, is in California. He is uh, speaking at a men's retreat, and so we bless him this morning. But he did tell me, uh, just to let you know, that he loves you guys and he misses you guys. Um, And I thought about not sharing that, but I think I probably should. I just thought, well, you know, I better do that. Um, This is always such a great honor for me to share with you guys, and and I'm excited for what the Lord has. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to 1 Corinthians. If you have your phones, uh, I guess launch that app and uh, push your buttons and and just get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I love hearing the just the pages turn. That's I don't I haven't heard that in a while. Uh, Curse you technology. Just kidding. We bless you. All right, do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Now, this analogy of running is probably one of the most robust, incredible analogies we can have of the Christian faith. It's not only one of the best but it's also one I hate the most. If you've ever gone running, you know what I'm talking about. And if you love running, I seriously am praying for you today in Jesus' name. <laughs> Ross Wagle, we love you, man. <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, I'd never run more than maybe 100 yards in my life. And I had a couple of friends who invited me to join the cross-country team. And they were all cross-country runners. And I was like man, these are my friends. This should be no problem. This will be easy. Let's just do it. And it was from that time on, I don't know how to describe it. I I think the best way to describe it is is that it's probably the the purest, most unadulterated hate-love relationship I've ever been in. That's running, really. I mean, because I get to be with my friends. There's such camaraderie. But every race, and I kid you not, every single race, Every single race. I'm about a mile and a half into the run, and this is what I'm thinking. This is it. This is the last one. After this, I quit. I'm done. I'm never doing. This is torture. 
Why, why would I ever do this? And then you cross the finish line and after the appropriate amount of panting and dry heaving, you celebrate and then it's great. And I think, oh man, I never want to quit. I want to keep doing this. And then the next race, I do the exact same thing. It was the worst. But it was during this time that I learned how to run well. There were things that I could do that would help to take a mediocre runner that's me, and turn him into maybe an ochre runner, okay? To move from not the greatest to okay. The point being that I was able to move and do things, practical ways to become a better runner, to run the race well. And this morning, what I wanted to share with you are just some principles on running the race well. That's what we see Paul challenging us to do. He says, run in such a way as to win it. We're not out there just running. Here's the thing, I think in America, uh, well, let's just say America, I'm not gonna say the world, but in America, it seems like we get into this, just slog it out. Just run, just push through, just keep running. But I don't think... That's the best way to run a race. That's the best way to burn out. There are certain things we must learn and must do and we must train ourselves in to be good at running the race. We're not just running, but we're running a race. So I don't really run all that much anymore. So what I do is I get Runner's Magazine. Runner's world, yeah. So that makes me feel a little bit better when I'm sitting around in my sedentary lifestyle and I think, oh, I'm so inspired and I'll run sometime in the future. Man, I'm so inspired. So, but I was reading this article and some of the things that this author said just so spoke to me. His name is Jonathan Beverly and the name of the article is Catching Fire. And what he's talking about uh, is if you've ever gone running, there are specific and rare, I would say rare for me, rare times when you, you're running along and all of a sudden you reach what is called a runner's high. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Man, you are so blessed. What the runner's high is, is you're running along and all of a sudden you feel like you have energy, you feel great, and you can push yourself harder and longer, further than you've ever been before. It is awesome. And I love the one time that I've ever felt it. The rest of the time just was terrible. But this is what he's talking about. And he says some really powerful things I think that are applicable for us this morning. It says, it always comes as a surprise the first time on a late spring afternoon I'm running repeats of a half-mile trail segment that snakes over two hills alongside a field. As I approach the biggest hill, I prepare for the slog, expecting to wallow in the steep, sandy surface and have to muscle my way over. Instead, my feet dance over the uneven terrain. My legs power up the slope with ease. I crest the hill and charge down the other side, my strides extending behind me, my hips channeling their force smoothly into a forward motion. The method, or excuse me, he says, let me skip forward here. He says, while the exact moments when I unlock this power always come unexpectedly, the elements that get me to this place are no secret. I don't have to wait for random lightning to strike. In fact, 
With running, it never arrives out of the blue, as it might in other sports. You may randomly sink a jump shot, I don't know what that's like, or drive a golf ball on a straight, soaring flight. Rare. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeff. (laughs) You may, but you'll never reach the runner's high without first putting in some prerequisites. The method is straightforward. Build an endurance bed of hot embers. Gently fan it with speed, being careful not to get greedy and blow too hard, and one day, flames burst forth. I can never tell exactly when it will combust, but I know what conditions need to be present before it does. While I can get, uh, while I can get fit on running alone, I won't ever reach the runner's high unless I also work on flexibility and strength. Outside of my running, I mostly live the life of a sedentary middle-aged American, and it has taken its toll. And while for me running, running isn't an exercise or a chore, I force myself to do these things because it is good for me, strength and flexibility training. There are no apps to track how many squats or donkey kicks I did today, and no one is ever impressed with my toe splay ability or how long I can hold my perfect one-leg bridges. My desire to keep running and to run well, however, has driven me to do them. These new routines, I want you to just keep hold of that word, routine. These key routines, while first only accomplished with discipline, have now become habits that yield benefits. I'm taller, lighter, more balanced, and fleet-footed than ever in my life. When I don't do the exercises, I feel off, a bit gross, like I would if I skipped brushing my teeth. On the run, everything gets harder. Old aches and pains creep back. I have fewer, if any, moments of grace, like I did on yesterday's hills and today's rhythm run. Back-to-back, about those back-to-back flights. Here I'm bringing it to a close. About those back-to-back flights, he's talking about these runner's highs that he reached. After riding high two days in a row, I'm tired. Tomorrow I'll be sluggish. The feeling of connected power is not a place you arrive at and stay. It is fragile and temporary. No worries. The bright flame may have burned itself out, but the embers are still there. This base of steady strength is a comfortable place, one that provides its own satisfaction, if not the same heady rush. I won't, attempt, I won't tempt the gods to try to force the feeling to stay another day. I'll run easy for a while and rebuild the fire before I again fan it into flames. I may need to experiment with the ingredients and the timing, but I know it will be there for me. I know as well that it will be worth finding. It always is. And that's the end of the, the article. And I, I just, what he's talking about here is that there is, there are practices that we can participate in that build an ember bed upon which the Holy Spirit can blow and we can experience the fire of our faith. And here's what I love about the article. He doesn't necessarily expect the fire to always be there. It doesn't always feel good to run the race, but there are things that we can do that will keep us in the race and running it well. When I first put this sermon together, I had seven different principles for you. So I honed those down to three. 
Okay, yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> so I want to give those to you this morning. Number one, I think the first principle that I learned that benefited my running the race well was listening to my body. And, and this is true in every sport. You have to listen to your body. And this is especially true in running. There have been seasons in my life due to injury that I had to go without running. And a lot of times, and, and there really, this manifests in two different ways. I was uh, wanting to increase the total amount of miles I was running. This is just a few years back. And so, and I hadn't run in like two years, so I was real excited. And, uh, but I thought, well, you know, I just, I want to be healthy, so I'm going to get out there and I'm going to run. So I ran a half mile and almost died. I thought, oh, dear Jesus, help me. I'll never be able to do this. The next day I got out there, I did a mile. So I was like, okay, there's a little bit of increase. The next day I ran two miles. I thought, oh, sweet. The next day, this is all in a row. The next day I jumped up to five miles and I finished and I was like, yes. I mean, it wasn't fast and it wasn't incredible, but uh, I finished. Finished, and that was really the point. So then the very next day, this, there's no rest. The very next day, I get on the road, and I run, my, and I run five miles, and I think, I feel okay, so I'm going to go another five. Okay? Yeah. If only I had you with me. <laughs> so I'm running along. About mile eight, I feel this little twinge in my knee on the outside. Just just a little twinge. I, whatever, no problem. Are you kidding? I'm a man. At the end of which, I was like, I'm a really dumb man. <laughs> really dumb man. But during, you know, I'm running along, and I feel this twinge. By the, and then I think, I, I finished mile eight, I finished mile nine, and now it's starting to bother me. Now, it's not this extreme, like, bolt of lightning pain. It's just pain. And I think, and, and listen, I was a wrestler in high school, and there was lots of pain involved in that. So I thought, I'm just going to just push my way through and I'll be fine. So that last mile, I finish it and actually go faster than any of my previous miles. So I was real proud of myself, except for the next day, I couldn't walk. And here's the thing, you guys, I was injured for months. I couldn't run. I would try, I would wait three weeks. I'd try to go out and run and just, just like a hundred meters into it, my leg would feel like it was on fire. Now here's the thing. I didn't listen to my body. And I think for, if we're going to run the Christian race well, we must learn how to listen to our hearts and our souls because injuries happen. I'm reading this book with a number of the leaders in this church uh, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And he, and he posits this idea. He says, we cannot expect to be spiritually healthy while yet live emotionally unhealthy. And it's true. We want to be spiritually mature, and that's what we present people, and we ignore all the issues that's going on on the inside. And I'm telling you now, we can't do it, and you will knock yourself out of the race if you don't listen to the injuries of your heart and the injuries of your soul. The other type of injury is the injury that comes upon you in a moment. You're running along, and all of a sudden, you hear something blow. Now, this isn't a, in, in, not an 
uh, a running example, but I was a I was a wrestler in high school, and after cross country, I was I, I was a very slender young man, and I I was 135 pounds after cross country, so very little body fat. I decided I was going to wrestle, and in order to do that, I dropped about 12 pounds of weight. And in order to do this, I didn't drink water, and I ate an orange a day for three months. It was incredibly unhealthy. Incredibly, now, now there were breaks, you know, there were moments when I would have like peanuts and stuff like that, but, but what I'm, you know, it was, ex- the point I'm making is it was extremely unhealthy, and my body was weakened as a result, and one day I was wrestling, and in a moment I felt this, this, just something in my back that tweaked, and I I just laid there. I couldn't move because of the pain. And I was taken out almost for the rest of the season because of this injury. And the thing is, is when this happened, I, I, I waited and then I hobbled to the, uh, the medics, the, the medical people. And they kind of looked me over and they said, okay, you've really, you've really, put a lot of torque on your back and you're not going to be able to wrestle for a while. And so um, I had to stop. And, and the lesson here is that when we are injured, we must stop. There are injuries that you, listen, if I go, if I twist my ankle just a little bit, I might be able to run on it and it's okay. But if I break my ankle, running on it is t- the worst thing you can do because all it does is it exacerbates the injury. It makes the injury worse. And as I was meditating on this, it reminded me of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31. It says, even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord, we're all gonna experience difficulty and we're going to get injured. In this life, You will experience hardships and there will be wounds of the soul. And sometimes they will be sneaking up on you and other times they will knock you out like a bolt of lightning from a clear sky. You'll say, God, why did this happen? I don't understand. And there is emotional turmoil. And what I'm suggesting to you is to wait. Don't act like everything's okay. I am this morning, here's what I'm doing. This morning, I'm giving you permission. In order to run the race well, stop running and get healing. The only priority when you're hurt is to heal. The thing is, is I've seen so many people reach this point of not being able to run any further. And here's what they feel. They feel guilt. They feel shame. And yet, Scripture very clearly paints a picture of a God who binds the brokenhearted. And he heals the wounded. Scripture says that by his stripes, we are healed. And the healing process may take a few weeks, or it may take months, or it may be a process that lasts years, but stop beating yourself up for needing healing. It is the reason why Jesus came. 
And here's why the, the enemy wants to keep you in a place of guilt, because guilt will separate you from Christ so that you cannot receive your healing. So cast it aside this morning. I implore you, don't allow guilt and shame to keep you from receiving the healing that Jesus has for you today. And it may not be healed completely today, but God wants to walk this road with you. We can't ignore the injuries of the soul. Listen, listen to your body. Number two, the second principle that I learned that really helped me as a runner, it's not a lot. <laughs> but don't judge the value of this point based on that. Don't watch the ground. When you're running, don't look down. I had the worst habit. When I would run, I would run like this. I would just look down. And, and I would start the race like this. Head held high, great posture, running along. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. Butterflies are flitting across the field. And I'm telling you, it was great until, yeah, like a mile into it. And all of then, it's like the weight of the world. I feel like Atlas running with the weight of the world, you know. And I'm just, all I can do is just look at the ground. I remember one particular race where uh, the race took us onto a back trail behind, you know, you're running on road, you're running on cement, then you're running on grass. And then behind the forest, we took this forested trail behind, and it was all sand. And I remember thinking, they did this on purpose. They did this to hurt people, you know, and I'm just running along and it's sand and, you know, and I love the word that this guy uses, Jonathan, he goes, wallow. That's exactly what I was, I was wallowing. But not only was I wallowing in sand, I was wallowing in self-pity and misery. And that's what happens. When, when it gets difficult, we look down, we, you know, we focus on one of two things. When we experience difficulty in the race, we focus on one of two things. We focus on our feet or we focus on our pain. Those are the two things that we focus on. But one of my coach would yell at me and he would just say, Dan, look up. And he'd say, just focus on the person, either the per person, it was, <laughs> he said, either focus on the person in front of you, or if no one's in front of you, then look at the horizon. But it was always a person in front of me, so I just focused on the person. So I would focus on the person, and here's, here's what he said. He said, naturally, this is what happens. Your body will move towards that which you look at. Have you ever heard the phrase, you ran yourself into the ground? It's because you are focusing on the ground. You had your head down. But this is what Hebrews says. He says, let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to stop focusing on the, here, so we focus on the path or the problem. We either get into legalism or we get into self-pity. We're so concerned about the path. But listen, you don't need to concern yourself with the path. Proverbs says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is keeping your head up. This is looking to Jesus. And then it says what? He will make your paths 
straight. We don't need to focus on the path. We want the answers to get out of the difficulty. That's why. We look at the path because we're looking for reasons and ways. I need step one, two, and three to get out of this difficulty. Do I need to give my way out? Because I'll give my way out of this difficulty. Oh, I just need more faith. That's what I need to get out of this difficulty. I just need more faith. So that's what I'm in. And but what I'm telling you today is that in the difficult times, just look to Jesus and he will make your path straight. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen is being persecuted by the Sanhedrin. And Stephen says this speech that ignites fury. In verse 54 of chapter 7 in Acts, it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Can you just imagine what that means? They gnashed their teeth at him. That sounds like they, there's some deliverance that needs to happen. I mean, there's just, I mean, I don't even know. I can't even begin to imagine. They gnashed their teeth at Stephen because of what he said. There is some serious demonic stuff going on in this passage. But this is what Stephen does. Stephen doesn't go, oh my Lord, what is wrong with you? Scripture specifically says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He looked to Jesus. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. As you, as you run your race, look to Jesus. Look to God. In Deuteronomy, God lays out all these different prescriptions for the people of God. And then he says, choose right no, he doesn't say choose right. He says, choose life. It's an interesting, it's an interesting passage. Here he is, he's saying, here, do this and don't do this. And here's all the laws. And if someone does this, this is what you need to do. So choose life. And I remember thinking about this and, and it took me to a scripture in Proverbs where it says, there's a, way, there, there, there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Okay, listen, guys, this is really difficult for a person like me. I'm overly concerned with right and wrong. It's my person, I just, it really bothers me. I'm kind of a black and white guy. I want it to be done right. And if it's not done right, then something's wrong. And when I read this verse, I just thought, well, what am I supposed to do? Lord, thanks. I, okay, there's a way that seems, I can only do what I think is right. And then they'll say, well, well, instead of focusing on what's right or what's wrong, take a moment and try focusing on just what brings life or death. Don't get in the difficulty. Don't get focused on the problem. Don't get focused on the pain. Don't get fo focused on Jesus. Because listen, we can't ever have enough faith. It says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He perfects our faith. Look to Jesus. You still with me? Point number three, principle number three, know when to push and when to ease. Know when to push 
and know when to ease off. So one of the, uh, the last race that I ever had in high school, um, I, we went out and uh, before the big meet, uh, the day before the big meet, they allowed us to go on the course and to run the actual course that we would run the next day, the following day. And all the teams were out there doing this. So we're all out there running the race. And as we were doing that, the coach was kind of doing this thing. He was saying, okay, guys, this is a really big hill, so here's what you need to do. And as you, and as you come around this corner, as you get to the last, this is the last mile marker, so you're going to want to start picking up the pace here. This particular race ends on a hill, and so just be aware of that. And, and I just remember thinking, man, running isn't just about pushing through. It's about knowing when to push a little bit harder and knowing when to ease up a little bit. So when the race started the next day, uh, the gun went off and I started running and I actually slowed my pace down slower than I ever had uh, in, in the entirety of, of the two years that I had been doing cross country. I actually got the slowest mile split that first mile that I had ever gotten, uh, which is funny because this particular race was my fastest race. And, and, and as I look back, there was a previous race where I got the fastest, uh, the fastest first mile split that I got was actually the worst race that I ever did. So as I was running, I said, okay, I'm just going gonna, gonna to take it easy. After the first mile, I picked up the pace. I knew that I do well on hills, so I pushed it a little bit harder in the hills. And then at the back end of the hills, instead of slowing down, I just tried to keep my pace but rest on the downhill. And guys, I, and I reached that last hill, and I knew one of my strengths, my particular just for whatever reason, is running hills. For whatever reason, I like to run hills. I hit the hills and I just go faster. So I, I ran and sprinted this hill and there were a couple of uh, under, uh, underclassmen who told me before, uh, and they were much better runners than me. So they told me before, they said, Dan, our goal is to beat you. Our goal is to beat you. And I was like, okay, great. Now I got these 15 year olds who are gonna beat me, you know. And, uh, and so I was, I, I was about halfway through the race, they passed me, and they just are cruising. But on that last hill, I hit that hill, and I just blow by them. And I did not bless them in Jesus' name. No. Uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> I laughed all the way across. The, I threw up at the end, but I laughed all the way to the finish line. You know, and uh, the point is, is that we have to learn the art of knowing when to push and when to ease up, especially in light of who you are. This is important because where you're able to push, someone else may not. That's not their strength. So instead of judging them, you could always try encouraging them. One of the things I noticed, all the guys in, in cross country who were just pretty in the middle in terms of talent and, and skill, they were not very kind. They'd run and they'd make sarcastic remarks and just, you know. <laughs> but the people who were really good, these guys who were going to state and they were, they were getting new personal records all the time, just these time, they were running like, five-minute miles and stuff all the way through the race and less. And, and I just thought they, they would go around the racetrack 
encouraging one another and encouraging the people that they lapped. So I was at this big meet called, it was, it was called the Sunfair meet, and there was like something like 20 teams that would come to this meet. And so we were getting ready to run, and they had different heats or different categories in which people would run based on your skill uh, and your times on previous races. <laughs> so my good friend Tom Alderson, who is one of these guys that's just pretty good at running, better than me, but not the best, um, and kind of a sarcastic guy, but we we're still good friends, you know. So we were, they, they got a heat, and they mix the guys and the girls together in these heats at these big meets. So they start, right? And they just take off, and they're running. And so the rest of us are all lined up along the side of the track and the course, and we're cheering our teammates on. And just as Tom Alderson comes running up in front of me, this girl comes just blazing by him, just blazing right by him. And she goes, good job, guys, and keep it up. And I remember I laughed so hard. I was like, Tom, and, he's, and he just looks at me and goes, like, that helps me, you know. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but the point is, is that these guys, people who understand the ins and outs, they're mature in running the race, understand that strengths differ between people and weaknesses differ between people. And you have to know according to your strength and weaknesses when to lean in and when to, when to ease off. The second nuance to this point that I, that I just, I think I need to focus on is, is learning how to rest. That ease off, I think that's hard for a lot of people. We feel guilty when we ease off. We feel like we're not accomplishing anything when we ease off in the race. But I think there's a good, uh, there, there's a good example in scripture in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 12, we see Jesus, and he, and he commands the, the disciples. He says, I want you to go, and I'm going to give you authority over all impure spirits. That's what Scripture says. It says it gives, he gives them power and authority over impure spirits. Picking it up in verse 8, it says, These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. That seems strange to me. Um, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if in any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So in verse 12, they went out, they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so we see this. So Jesus specifically sends the disciples out. We could say this is a leg of the race. Jesus says, I want you to go and do this. Here is the parameters for the race I am sending you to run on. And they go and they're running the race. And I have to believe it was pretty hectic and it was pretty pretty busy. They were going around, casting out demons, healing, preaching the name of Jesus, and healing sick people as they came across them. So then, if we skip down, in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And I think this is interesting because In our corporate mindset, in our Western mindset, we think, well, this is good. They should do that. They need to go report on what they had done and what they accomplished. And Jesus is listening, and I can just imagine him listening here. And then it says, 
Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So even Jesus, looking at the disciples, says, you know what, guys? We need some rest. We need some downtime. Interestingly, when Jesus takes them, to the, takes them to the solitary place, there's a whole bunch of people that follow them. And Jesus gets all compassionate, and he says, okay, and he, and he begins to teach to them. And as the day progresses, people are getting hungry, and they realize these people haven't eaten, so the disciples come to Jesus and say, listen, listen, we're tired. You know that. You asked us to rest. So here we are ministering to people. They don't have anything to eat. Send them away so that they can go get something to eat. And I just have to wonder, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, and we can rest, you know? And, and Jesus says, well, why don't you give them something to eat? And immediately, they kind of get into this, well, it would take nearly a year's wages to feed this many people. Are you, are you really asking us? to? These are the same disciples who just came back from supernaturally healing people and casting out demons. And then when they come across a food shortage, they don't even begin to think that maybe God can do something supernatural. And I think what we see here is a revealing of what happens when people don't rest. They cease focusing on Jesus. Because they come to Jesus instead of, after they, they, they get back from running their race, that leg of their race, they begin to report to Jesus all that, he, that they had done, all the healings how they cast out spirits. They, 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 they said, Lord, we taught all these great things and man, you should have heard this point. It was incredible. It would have changed your life, Jesus. And you know, I wonder if Jesus was just sitting there thinking, man, they didn't come back praising and worshiping. They didn't come back lifting up the name of Jesus and whose name they were sent. They came back focused on all that they had accomplished. And then to further reveal the myopic view they have of life, they, all they could see was themselves. Jesus says, hey, I need you to feed the 5,000. And they go, oh, we can't do that. There's no possible way that we can do that. And Jesus says, I am right here, guys. I am standing right in front of you. What happens is when you run, and, and there's a positive and negative here, and when you run, there's a lot of impact going on in the body, especially on your bones. And so one of the, one of the things I'll tell you is, is to run with light feet, you know, or run quietly. And the reason they do that is because they're trying to teach you not to stomp when you run, <laughs> because your body's already experiencing so much impact. But the positive to this is that it strengthens your bones. The impact strengthens your bones. But if you are not careful, if you don't know when to rest, you will develop stress fractures in your legs. Stress fractures. I think that's what happens. We run the race so long and so hard, we begin to develop stress fractures. And here's the thing about stress fractures. You don't really know they're there until you're taken out. 
And I think one of the first warning signs to the stress fractures in our lives is when we have our eyes off of Jesus. And we have to learn to rest. And that's what Sabbath life is all about. That's what Sundays are for. They're really, they're really not just to watch TV and do what you want. Really, they're to reflect and refocus our lives on Jesus. That's, that's what it means to, it is in him that we truly experience rest. There's so much more I wish I could share with you. But I pray that even these three, even these three principles will help you to run the race well. And when I say well, I just don't mean fast. When I say well, I mean with health, with strength, with inspiration, with praise on your lips. I want to be the kind of Christian who can run the race in such a way that people look at me and go, what is the joy on him? What is that? And I believe these are three principles that can help us to run the race well. Running is, is, is difficult. It's incredibly difficult. And running a race, I think, is more so because it's more than just pushing through. But there is a way to run that leads us to victory. Three, these three things are a part of that. Look at the life of Jesus. I think his life is filled with examples on the way that we can live our lives and run the race as Paul did. When Paul says, I've run the race and I've finished. I've finished. I've poured myself out. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 two, let me just read this in closing. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If I can invite the ushers forward, we're going to go ahead and come to the table One of the things I love about the table is that it's more than just something that we do to remember, though remembering is a part of it. Here we believe that when we participate in the table, when we participate in communion, God is doing something supernatural in our lives. This morning, as we come, I think it would be just incredible to remember the race that Jesus ran on our behalf. And as we take the blood, and as we partake of the body, we're saying, God, I am running the race with you. I'm running with you today. I don't know where you've been I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord, but today I believe the Lord is inviting us to run the race with him. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. Listen, the life, the race of life is difficult and hard, but draw near to Jesus for his yoke is easy 
and his burden is light. Run the race with Jesus. Can we do that?